Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is doing what she does best. As a young girl, she was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now, listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open. I am so excited to have my guest on today, Ryan Lane. He's the senior editor at a national nonprofit called American Student Assistance. I've worked with Ryan on and off for probably almost the last decade, which is kind of scary. Uh, in his role, Ryan oversees the development of articles, infographics, course materials for the organization's free education finance support program, SALT. And working with internal and external subject matter experts, Ryan creates content that simplifies the world of college financing and helps families successfully plan for, pay for, and repay higher education expenses. Over the past three years, and I didn't know this till I got his bio, Ryan has written about student loans as a co-author of the U.S. News and World Report blog, The Student Loan Ranger. So welcome, Ryan, to the call. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, chat with you today about your myth. The myth you brought to the call that you want to bust wide open is parents must protect their children from college financing decisions. Seems It sounds so like luminous, you know, like... <laughs> so uh, tell uh, the people who are listening in to the podcast today, kind of what motivated you to bring that particular myth to bust open today? Well, I think this is actually a perfect time to talk about this myth. Uh, I'm not sure what release date you actually have for this, but uh, we're recording this if I'm allowed to pull back the curtain a little bit. You are. Uh, all right, perfect. <laughs> On uh, October 2nd, uh, the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, opens each year on October 1st, and it's great to submit that as early as possible. So right now, we're really at the very beginning of when some of these financing discussions and financing decisions are taking place. Uh, and it really just made a lot of sense to me to dive into that area a little bit and talk about how uh, some families might handle those decisions or perhaps not handle those decisions uh, and what potentially may make sense for people to do moving forward. So when are those forms due? If they're open October 1st, when are they due? There's not really a set deadline necessarily. You can apply, you can complete the FAFSA through June 30th of the subsequent uh, year. So uh, you're actually filling out for the 2018-2019 uh, award year starting yesterday. You can fill that out through the end of June in the next calendar year. Uh, but the dates you actually really want to be aware of are your school's priority filing deadlines and your state's priority filing deadlines. And those are really going to vary depending on where you live and which school you're going to. But, you know, really a lot of aid is on a first uh, first come, first serve basis. Uh, so it definitely benefits students and their families to fill out uh, those forms, the federal forms, and any additional paperwork that your school requires as early as possible. 
Oh, that's great. We will definitely make an effort uh, at KBK Wealth Connection to get this up uh, and posted sooner as opposed to later so people can start looking at this material. And I know often when you're having a conversation about finances, uh, it's an ongoing conversation. So it, it can take a little bit more than a couple of days to work through, so to speak. So when, you know, I have a certain reaction to the statement, parents must protect their children from college financing decisions. But tell me a little bit more about this myth and what you see as either the downside or the upside or a little bit of both when people buy into this idea that 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 college kids need to be protected from finance decisions sure well i mean i I think it's something where you could probably have any statement that starts with parents must protect their children from blank Uh, and i think most parents would probably agree with you know most things that you're going to add uh, there at the end of it. So I, I just think back to my own college experience and when I was deciding between schools, uh, and I had narrowed down my list to three potential options, two private options, one state option. Uh, I remember distinctly sitting down in the kitchen, having a discussion with my parents and saying, well, I'll go to the state option uh, where I won't have to borrow any loans. Uh, and my parents had actually said they would buy me a car if I chose that option as opposed to uh, the private options where they would have to spend more unless that wouldn't be uh, an option uh, necessarily. So perhaps I was foreshadowing my future career uh, in this space with uh, the decision that I made then. Uh, And I remember my mom actually telling me to rethink my decision uh, and go to uh, the school that offered potentially the better program uh, for what I was interested in, which was communications. So that's what I ended up doing. Uh, I didn't get the car. I did get uh, about five uh, digits worth of student loan debt uh, afterward, but things sort of worked out in the end. And I, I think of my own situation as perhaps probably mirroring what a lot of families go through, which is wanting your child to make the best decision based upon uh, education, based upon location, based upon fit, a lot of those other factors, but not necessarily based upon price or the amount of debt that they might take on. I don't know that that necessarily fits into uh, a lot of individuals, quote unquote, definition for what the best might be. Uh, And I think that is potentially a pitfall uh, that students uh, fall into and families fall into when you look at the fact that uh, students are graduating from school owing northwards of $37,000 worth of debt and uh, parents are borrowing uh, a lot of Um, money in loans uh, as well to cover any tuition gaps that their children might have. So there's a lot of debt that is getting taken on uh, that potentially uh, parents feel like they might be either protecting their child from by taking it on themselves or protecting um, their child from by not having the conversation in general to begin with to say, hey, perhaps maybe it makes more sense for Uh, you to go to a less expensive school or a community college for a couple of years and transfer over sort of different options uh, like that rather than uh, focusing a little bit more on just what uh, the best educational fit might be. Do you think that this is part of the overall money silence in our society that that parents talk about all sorts of aspects of a college education but kind of don't really spend time talking about the money aspect? Do you think that's part of it or or is there something else at play here? Uh, I think it's definitely part of it. Uh, Just from uh, reading uh, a lot of the things that you've written as well, I know many of the topics that people feel more comfortable talking about uh, than talking about money. Uh, And then I think you sort of add in the layer of 
having those conversations with a teenager as well, which uh, also from my own, <laughs> from, from, from my own experience talking about this with uh, my parents, you know, my, 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 my mother tells me she was afraid to talk about anything with me uh, for a few years uh, there. So I, I think when you sort of look at uh, obviously the, the taboo of talking about money and then having to deal with perhaps a less than receptive audience uh, in a teenager, uh, it definitely sort of all combines together. I think that's uh, that's a great way of thinking about it. It's the it's like a double whammy talking to your yeah. teen. I can remember looking at colleges and the financial conversation not coming up either, and um, you know a car also being involved. I don't know whether that's uh, some way to get a teenager to listen, but I do remember um, later on in life, much later, realizing, wow. My parents paid a lot for college, but I had yeah. no idea at the time. I had no awareness, which I'm not proud to say, um, but we certainly sure. have broke money silence since then. Um, so is there, before we move on to kind of tips and tools for people who are listening that have uh, teenagers that are in this situation, or maybe college students that are in the middle of this situation, uh, before we do that, is there any upside, is there any benefit to the parents protecting their children from the college financing discussions in your view, even if it short term like is there is there a silver lining uh i mean it's certainly it's a stressful experience in general uh when you sort of have i guess your your future right in front of you and you have to pick where you're going to spend the next four years of your life uh, and perhaps what you want to do as a career for the rest of your life that's that's a lot of weight to put on someone to begin with and then if you factor in the idea that you're going to have upwards of $30,000 worth of debt to manage after you take, you know, after you figure all of that out. There's definitely a lot of a mental, there's a mental toll that takes place because of that. Uh, so when you're protecting your child from that aspect of it, I think you can understand where some individuals come from in that respect. So it's almost as if in the short run, by not talking about it, you're helping reduce your teenager's stress or everybody's stress. But in the long run, you may inadvertently and in a very well-intended manner, mm -hmm. increase their stress because certainly the amount of student debt that people are carrying is very stressful. Yeah, I think it's definitely an, an in-the-moment decision. One thing that we've always talked about at ASA is the fact that choosing a college is an emotional decision to begin with and to try to add or prescribe a dose of rational thought on top of it, like thinking about how much this is going to cost you now and how much this is going to cost you in the future, uh, that's not always going to bubble to the top of the thought process. It's a great point. So before we get into the tips that Ryan has for everybody, um, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, I'm with Ryan Lane of ASA. He's busting the myth. Parents must protect their children from college financing decisions. And we'll be back after this quick message. Did you know that 44% of Americans would rather talk about politics, religion, and death than personal finance? And there's a real cost to this money silence, to society, your family, and the next generation. Kathleen Burns Kingsbury's new book, Breaking Money Silence, How to Shatter Money Taboos, Talk More Openly About Finances, and Live a Richer Life, explores the history of the money talk taboo and offers readers practical tips and tools for engaging in healthy financial communication. Pick up your copy today. Breaking Money Silence is available on Amazon and bookstores everywhere. 
Join the revolution at www.breakingmoneysilence.com. So here I am with Ryan Lane of ASA, Busting the Myth, Parents Must Protect Their Children from College Financing Decisions. And we've just talked about kind of the up and downside of uh, talking about money or avoiding these money conversations. And certainly there is a huge downside. Can you repeat that stat that you gave me, Ryan, about how much the average student debt is? It's very large. Yeah, for the class of 2016, uh, the average debt that they graduated with was a little bit above $37,000. Wow. I can't even imagine like coming out of school. I mean, I was fortunate, right? But coming out of school and having that kind of debt, not being able to find a job or that just seems so overwhelming. Um, so I'm really glad organizations like the American Student Ass- uh, Assistance Program is out there. And the, the program that I worked with and uh, f- on and off for a while is uh, saltmoney.org, which is a really great financial literacy site uh, for college-age students uh, that has a lot of fun stuff on it. And Ryan's in charge of what I would say, uh, editor of fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should put that on my business cards. Um, but let's get back to uh, the topic at hand. What advice would you give to parents who are listening? Um, I'm imagining it's more parents than teenagers, but maybe I have some teenagers in my audience. Um, but parents about how they can broach these conversations with their children. Um, you know, what are the steps that you advise them to take if they want to make sure that they aren't overprotecting their children? Sure. Uh, we, we talked at the top of the program how uh, the FAFSA has just opened. I think one thing that many parents will do is just complete the FAFSA themselves for, for their children or do it with a very passively interested child uh, as part of it. Uh, I'll speak from experience there as well. This is something where you're going to fill out the FAFSA each year that you're in school and that you want to get aid. So in theory, I filled out the FAFSA four times. I remember zero of those occasions. Uh, so it's definitely something put uh, you know, a Saturday aside, put a few hours aside. It, it does take a little bit of time to go through the form, but sit down together, uh, go through the form, go through the steps, have your child understand uh, what information you're putting in the form. And definitely when you get the results from that form, you'll get your student aid report, which will outline your estimated family contribution for that. Talk through uh, those options and what those numbers mean with your child so they can understand that. So I would say that's that's one thing that families should definitely do. Um, if you don't want to get into the weeds of going through a federal form uh, with your child as well, uh, just like with uh, a lot of uh, difficult money conversations uh, that uh, I imagine you would advise people to do would be to uh, grab some time uh, together, put it on the calendar, uh, make an appointment to sit down and talk through uh, some of these options and look at um just what we've talked about here in terms of, all right, this is how much uh, someone going to uh, this college uh, will graduate with in debt. Uh, Here's this big number, $37,000, whatever it is. Now let's break this down into, all right, you're gonna repay this over uh, 10 years, 120 payments. So this is the actual amount uh, that you will have to pay each month when you graduate. It doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't go to that school, by, by no means is that what I'm saying, but it is something where you want to not be surprised 
when you hit that number and you also want to do things while you're in school, uh, like applying for more scholarships, finding free money, working while you're in school, doing other things that can limit the amount of debt that you have to take on. So you're better prepared post-graduation to handle that amount. That, those are great tips. I think something comes to mind. I, I recently wrote an article for a financial advising magazine, and I interviewed a bunch of parents about what they would do differently if they had to do it again uh, in talking to their college-age kids. And mm-hmm. a lot of it, obviously, was about college and college expenses. And one of the things that um, one of the gentlemen that I interviewed said, he would have sat down and, and would have tried to help his son have a realistic sense of the numbers. So in other words, mm-hmm. not only, I love your tip, but the, not only kind of what it's going to cost you in, monthly in debt, which is a really important figure for people to have, but somehow to bring that to life. And one yeah. of the ideas he had that I thought was kind of cool, and, and maybe you know this is something that people in the student loan industry know about, but the idea of also working out like, okay, suppose you graduated, you have your own apartment, what typically would your apartment cost? What would your expenses cost? And then putting that number in your overall budget. Because mm-hmm. what he found is his son, um, very, I happen to know this person, very nice gentleman, was able to just think, you know, whatever the number was, oh, that's not a big deal. So he didn't have context. So do you have yeah. any idea? I mean, that's one way to put it into context. Although you have to be, you know, I, I imagine if you have an unwilling teen, that might be a drawn out affair. I'm wondering, is there a way in which you recommend that people can put it into context or even in our conversation today to to think about how do you bring that home to a young person? Because I know at 18 or 19, I didn't really have a sense of what that number meant uh, as much as I do now. Uh, You know, I, I, I think exactly the way that you've just talked about is one of the best strategies for doing something like that. I I know something that we've done in the past is to look at what those dollar amounts can equate to uh, that, you know, students might be more interested in than putting them toward the loan. For instance, uh, we've talked a lot in the past about uh, prepaying on your student loans to cut down interest costs and how making one extra payment per year can save you X amount uh, over the life of your loan. Uh, So for instance, if you make that one extra payment and it saves you $1,000 worth of interest, you know, that's $1,000. That's a plane ticket and a trip to uh, Europe or to Mexico or wherever else that might be more interested, uh, that a student might be more interested in going uh, in their post-grad life than just sending a bill to their student loan servicer. So definitely things like that where uh, you can find that, I guess, common denominator. Uh, I love that because that, that just makes make it real. Sense. You know what I mean? It, it makes yeah. it so much real. Oh, wait, I can get a whole trip yeah, absolutely. You know, out of this versus I could pay this, which they, st- you know, you still don't know what the ultimate decision will be. And it may be that they decide to take on that debt, but there's a way yep. in which it gives a context. I also think, and this was the other question I was going to ask you, it kind of gives a fun factor. You know me, I, I like to have <laughs> fun with finance and I know finance gets a bad rap. So it almost feels like in some ways, okay, this is how much your payments would be. Let's think about, you know, what are all the things you might want to buy that are at that amount or over the course of, you know, paying that back and trying to add some fun into it. Because I feel like a teenager or you could even make a contest if there were a bunch of kids the same age might be much more interested in that and it might get them involved as opposed to um, the form, which is important um, as well, but some sort of kind of more engaging 
uh, way. And I know, you know, at, at uh, ASA and certainly with Salt Money, you guys are really great at that. So I love that tip. Uh, any other thoughts before we kind of wind down today? These podcasts go so quick, Ryan. <laughs> uh you know, I, I think we've uh, we, we've covered uh, a good uh, amount of what I was hoping to talk about. I would say just from the parent standpoint, as well as you said, that's largely your audience too. Uh, certainly, something for them to be aware of, not just the student borrowing, but also the parent borrowing. Uh, we touched on that uh, a little bit uh, as well. So, uh, parent plus loans, which are the federal loan that parents can take on to cover a tuition gap. Uh, so that is something where the total amount outstanding there is over 80 billion dollars wow. uh and well when when you put it in the context of the the 1.4 trillion dollars of outstanding student loan debt then maybe the the 80 billion doesn't seem as lot but uh that's certainly something that a lot of parents turn to as well and just the the point that i would make for that if that's something that you're planning to do uh have the conversation with your child about that so they know what you're taking on especially if you're taking on that amount in lieu of your child taking on that amount certainly as you get older and you have less time to earn income uh to make up that money or to uh, contribute to retirement savings or whatever your other financial goals might be having that debt hang over you uh, is definitely something that you want to be aware of uh, you should also be aware of the fact that uh, the parent plus loan it remains in your name uh, a common thing that we hear about are parents making agreements with their children to have their children pay off that debt for the parent once they graduate from college uh, and while that can sometimes work out well sometimes it cannot if the student or child is struggling to make their other loan payments or spaces out on it or whatever the reason might be uh, the parent has to be aware of that because it is in the parent's name and it will be the parent's credit score that takes that hit or if the loan goes into default or whatever bad things might happen as a result of that you have to understand that responsibility as well. Wow. You know, I only have a cat named Avery, and uh, <laughs> she's not going to college, even though I would have hoped she would. So I feel fortunate that I don't have to necessarily have these types of money talks, although I have had them with my nieces and my nephews uh, to try to support them and in, in making good financial decisions on going off to college. So, Ryan, you've been such a wealth of information today, and it's been really fun. Time flew uh, talking to you about this. And I, I guess, you know, if we had to uh, reframe the myth instead of saying parents must protect their children from college financing decisions sounds like parents must communicate with their children about college financing decisions would be a great reframe what do you think yeah absolutely just have have the open conversation put it out there uh make sure you're all aware of uh this consideration and the fact that it is something that you do need to think about in addition to uh, school location, school offering, whatever, whatever other uh, factors that might play into how you're deciding where to spend the next four years of your life. Excellent. Well, thank you, Ryan. Tell people where they can find out more information about your organization. Yeah, you can visit us online at ASA.org, that's American Student Assistance, uh, saltmoney.org, which uh, Kathleen mentioned uh, earlier as well. We have a ton of great information on that site uh, around the FAFSA that we talked about, around the college 
financing process in general. We have a great modeling tool called our College Cost Planner uh, in which you can go in and you can put the uh, amount that you expect to uh, get from scholarships and the amount that you expect to take out in loans and from savings and so forth like that uh, and model that over the course of four years because that's what you have to remember as well. It's not just making uh, making ends meet for the one year. It's making ends meet for however many years your child is going to be uh, in school as well, which will certainly increase those numbers too. So uh, again, you can find that on saltmoney.org. Uh, check us out there. Thank you so much. And thanks, Ryan, for uh, breaking money silence with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at BreakingMoneySilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to KBKWealthConnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence for good.